to us the truth that the gospel writer wants to give us through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I was starting to think and pray through some thoughts on this passage on those two days early in June when the 75th anniversary of D-Day was being marked in Portsmouth and in Normandy. What came across powerfully in the commemorations was the theme of liberation of oppressed European peoples from Nazi occupation and tyranny. It reminded me that this story about Legion has been interpreted by some as a parable or allegory of the Roman occupation of Israel and the expectation of the Messiah to rid the nation of this oppression by an invading force. That may be a valid interpretation. But there are also other accounts of exorcism or deliverance in the Gospels as well. So whilst I accept that this could be a legitimate layer of meaning to give to the story, I prefer to take the incident at face value and see that it's more to do with a different kind of liberation. The liberation from the oppression of spiritual forces that were at work in this poor man who lived such a beleaguered life among the tombs. I think it's a story, like other similar stories in the Gospels, that are trying to say to us that Jesus can free us from those kinds of forces that are at work in human life and in the world. So let's look at this incident and see how we might interpret this and other such stories. Let's see what it might be saying to us about what can happen to us and others and how Jesus can bring deliverance and healing for us too. So first then, let's think about how to interpret this story. Well, I think how you interpret this story really hinges upon what is your concept and understanding of evil in the human heart and in the life of the world. Do we see good and evil as moral absolutes? Or in a postmodern world where everything is relative, do good and evil simply become a matter of lifestyle choice? From an early age, most young children gain an instinctive sense of what is right and what is wrong. Even a two- or three-year-old grandchild will try to hide or cover up wrong actions, as observations of my own can bear out. But we tend to have this feeling, don't we, that somehow we're not really influenced by evil. We can deal with it. We can control it. It doesn't really affect us, although it may affect other people. Whilst at the same time acknowledging 
that perhaps on occasions some goodness might just rub off on us. It's as though somehow we feel we can overcome or repel any evil that may seek to have an effect upon us. As Christians, we know that we can be influenced by the Holy Spirit to do what is good and right. So can we also be influenced by unholy spirits, forces of evil, powers of darkness at work against God's kingdom? The answer, I believe, is yes. And I think that answer is backed up by the New Testament, which warns us about being on our guard against the wiles of the enemy in several different places. In Ephesians, Paul speaks of our struggle being not against the enemies of flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So for me, there is a spiritual interpretation to this story, as well as possibly an allegorical understanding about Roman occupation, or indeed a more medical and scientific interpretation that may attribute the man's condition to a severe form of mental illness. Yes, the man may indeed have been profoundly mentally disturbed, but I think he was also spiritually oppressed. I choose those words carefully because many would say, including the version of Mark's gospel that we've just read and others besides, that the man was demon-possessed. The Greek word that is usually used for demon-possessed isn't used here in this passage. So it's perhaps best to say that the man was literally demonized, meaning that he was subjected to a variety of malign spiritual forces at work in his life, but he was not actually possessed by evil spirits. The fact that we are told that the man met Jesus indicates that he had sufficient control over his life to take the initiative to seek out Jesus. So how you go about interpreting this story, how you understand evil and how evil is at work within the life of the world is crucial. Because that interpretation will then determine how you respond, how you pray, how you help or give support when faced with somebody like the man with demons called Legion. So that's the first thing. The second thing I think the story shows to us is that it's also about understanding what can happen to us and to others. We often say that people battle their demons. By that, we usually mean that they are struggling with forms of addiction, perhaps with drugs, alcohol, pornography, or gambling, 
or they're suffering from different forms of compulsive behavior or deep-seated fears or firmly entrenched attitudes that have come to dominate their lives. Again, we might ask, are these just the results of lifestyle choices or circumstances or experiences often quite traumatic in our lives? Or can they be more than that? Whilst many forms of addiction or compulsive behavior begin with our response to life experience or personal choice, which at the time may not seem to be a problem or addictive, they can be exacerbated by malign spiritual influences that work through them. Those kinds of things in our behavior or our lifestyle can become portals or openings for spiritual forces to come into our lives. And therefore, we should seek to guard ourselves and our lives against the dangers of those influences. So too, an interest in the occult or in spiritualism or in clairvoyance can be similar invitations to encouraging evil spiritual forces into our lives as can curses made or oaths sworn against us. And we can be subject to influences that come down the family line from wrong actions or practices that have been carried out in previous generations within our family. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 6 that we should take up the whole armor of God. He urges us to stand firm and to be protected by the Christian virtues which God makes available to us. Truth, righteousness, faith, salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. A more Methodist take on this might be to focus on holiness, which comes from the same root as the word for wholeness. John Wesley urged the early Methodists to pursue lives of holiness, both personal and social, and to do this through practicing the means of grace daily in their lives. Means of grace such as times of private prayer and devotion, reading the scriptures alone or with others, meeting together for worship and fellowship, including the regular sharing in Holy Communion, and the open confession of sins in class or band meetings. Here was Wesley's approach to taking up the whole armor of God, a rediscovery of the pursuit of holiness in our spiritual lives would provide the protection needed from the enemy and prevent malign spiritual forces from gaining a foothold in our lives. The third and final point I want to draw from this incident in the Gospels is that Jesus brings deliverance and healing. The good news of the Gospel is that Jesus possesses the power and the authority to cast out those kinds of influences from our lives. Jesus is Lord over all things in heaven and on earth. This is demonstrated clearly in this incident with Legion and in other similar stories of deliverance recounted in the Gospels. 
as the song says, at his name, the demons flee because there is power in the name of Jesus. Possibly even one by one, Jesus rids the man of the legion of demons that have taken up residence in his life and delivers him to a place where he is calm and settled and in his right mind. But that said, further healing still needs to take place. We are told that the man had lived among the tombs in the vicinity of the dead. Jesus seeks to restore him to the land of the living. That means reintegrating him back into his family and community which he had left or from which he had been expelled because of his reckless or violent behavior. This is precisely why Jesus refuses the request made by the man now delivered from his demons to go with Jesus and follow him as a disciple. Instead, Jesus commands him to go home and to exercise his discipleship there, bearing witness among people he knows to what God has done. It would have been far easier for the man to begin a new life on the road with Jesus among people who hadn't known about his past behavior. But Jesus saw that if the man was to be made whole, he would need to do the hard yards of reestablishing himself among those who had formerly loved and nurtured him. And that would also be a process of healing for his family and community too, who would have been far from being left unaffected by this man's behavior in the past. The power of testimony would be a means of bringing that healing about for all concerned, as others would be encouraged to share their stories and feelings as the man told what God had done for him. And what Jesus did for this man, he can still do for others today. As contemporary stories of deliverance can be shared to give encouragement and hope to those who are afflicted by unhealthy spiritual forces at work in their lives, but often don't know where to begin to talk about it or feel even too ashamed or embarrassed to do so. Let me share with you one such story that comes from our recent healing conference. A lady came forward for prayer, who when at school many years before had watched friends playing with an Ouija board but wasn't directly involved herself. But that was sufficient for her to have unwittingly opened up her life to demonic influence. Before coming to the conference, she had a headache like a tight band across her forehead for three weeks. She came for prayer ministry at the conference because the Holy Spirit brought the Ouija board memory to mind and prompted her to go forward for prayer. Those who ministered to her prayed through the leading of the Holy Spirit for deliverance from evil spirits that may have used the incident that had taken place so many years before to gain a foothold in her life. The lady could even hear what the spirits were saying and reported this to those ministering to her as she was freed from the influence of those spirits. The headache receded until it finally disappeared altogether. 
Here at Central Hall, we have, in general, as a prayer team, been preparing through God's guidance to become much more open to and aware of the spiritual causes of ill health and unwellness, and how to pray with those who come to us with such spiritual needs in their lives. First, being able to identify those needs, and then to support people in their struggle for deliverance and healing. That might include you tonight. You may not know that something spiritual has caused a problem in your life. It may be that as you explain the situation that has brought you here for prayer tonight, it may be that one of the members of the healing team discerns either through the Holy Spirit or simply through their own experience that maybe there is something at the heart of your problem which lies in a spiritual malaise. A spiritual malaise that needs to be treated. A spiritual malaise that you need to be set free from. Some kind of oppression that has been wearing away at your life. Holding you captive from which you need to be set free. If that is you tonight, or if you even just suspect it may be you tonight, please free, feel free to come forward and to seek prayer. Of course, not every health issue has a spiritual cause. Not every case of ill health or unwellness has some kind of demonic influence behind it. Of course it doesn't. There are physical, psychological, and emotional causes of ill health and unwellness, just as there are spiritual ones. But somehow, we're more aware of those than we are aware of the spiritual ones. Or perhaps it is that our contemporary society and the spirit of the age causes us to look upon those kinds of spiritual causes of illness as something perhaps to be dismissed or disparaged or set aside. Let me finish by paraphrasing some words of the Christian writer C.S. Lewis. He said that there are two basic errors that we make about demons. One, he said, is to place too much emphasis upon them so that we come to see one under every stone. And the other is to fail to take them seriously enough so that we play down the power and presence of evil at work in human lives and in the world. What Lewis says is important in helping us to get a balanced view of spiritual influences, of demonic activity. But also, it's important in enabling us to take a realistic approach to those spiritual influences that can have a real detrimental effect upon our lives at the very deepest level. Our total well-being depends on understanding that truth. Whilst we do readily acknowledge the physical, 
emotional and psychological causes of what harms and damages our well-being. To be able to discern the place of spiritual causes can actually open up the way to a deliverance and to a healing that leads to that wholeness of life, to that sense of liberation that God desires for each and every one of us. Thanks be to God. Amen. So let's sing that song I referred to earlier. There is power in the name of Jesus. <laughs>